It's Thursday, November 3rd, 2016, and you're listening to episode 421 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 52 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. This is Brodor. All right, Wayne, before we get into today's topic, you're up first. All right, so last week... We talked about the uh, the Happy Jacks guys, yes. the Poxy Boggards. Yes. We're going to be on Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Bunch of jerks. So, Wait, no, we like them. Yeah. Sorry. So I watched the episode, and they really did have to get it down into seven seconds in the beginning, but they managed, the song they picked, of course, was Happy Jacks Undrinkable Ale, and they managed to get it in, so they were able to get the full, you know, Happy Jacks Undrinkable Ale out and then there. And commercial. So then everyone comes Probably in. Probably the British guy yelling and cussing. <laughs> the thing was, that wasn't where it ended with them, though. So they're out there, all dressed up, and they're on this big boat that they've built on the set. They did this for seven seconds of music? No, because they did more than that. Okay. They did So they did their singing while everyone came out. Okay. Then when everyone comes out, they all have scrolls. It's a competition show. The competition is somebody on one team picks their opponent from the other team, and then that opponent picks one of them up there. They're all holding scrolls with bodies of water on it. And then when they flip it around, there's a fish. And then for about like a three-second song or so, they sing something about the fish. Huh. Wow. Yeah, it's like a little shanty about the fish that is on the sheet. I'm a groupie for grouper. I've got a halibut habit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was not that bad, but there were some puns mixed in. But yeah, so they not only sang their one song that was cut down. I left you on porpoise. <laughs> I moved my ass for Chilean bass. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it was actually kind of fun watching them up there because yeah, I recognize some of them from when we've been on with them Skyping. And it's like, hey, I know that guy and he's on TV now. And now they're done singing, so I'm going to delete the show because I'm not watching the rest of it. Mm. But yeah, so they actually got a chunk of time out there and were introduced by Gordon Ramsay and got to sing their initial song and then sing about fish. I wonder if they have a bacon number now. Did they get cussed at? No, he was very nice to them. Boring. (laughs) I wouldn't have been. They should have had me there. I would have either been the recipient of or been the dispenser of something horrible. I would have instigated something there. All right. So, Wayne, that was, by the way, that was, that was a, a terrible story, and I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> you did a fine job in the telling, but I expect more from that. Look, Happy Jacks guys. If you ever really want to make it to like the first string of RPG podcast, you got to shake that. You can't be on national television and be singing three second songs about grouper. All right. (laughs) There was grouper was one of the fish, too. Yeah. I mean, you got to at least say something derogatory about the Ennies. I mean, you got I, I don't know. The floor is yours. and That's what you come up with. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about something that. I hesitate to talk about, but I think it is important to talk about. One of the long-standing rules, in fact, I suppose as far as it goes with us dealing with the public, probably rule number one is that Fear the Boot is not about politics or religion. You know, we want people when they come to the show to enjoy it or not based on the content as it relates to geek hobbies not because of the fact that we're going after your worldview or or whatever. There's one exception to this, which is except 
where politics and religion intersect with role-playing games or intersect with our hobby as a whole. And there is perhaps no place greater that this happened than the moral panic or or the so-called satanic panic of primarily the 1980s. Now, it actually began in the 1970s and did continue into the 1990s. So I guess you could shorthand this to say it was probably about 20 years if you include the lead up in the tale. But the bulk of it occurred within the course of the 1980s. And for anyone who's not been following the news, and this really wasn't a major news item, this was kind of a side item, because it's really not of interest to a whole lot of people outside of our circles, and I suppose a certain subset of religious circles. But on October 23rd of 2016, so as of this recording a few days ago, as a release probably about a week and a half ago, a gentleman by the name of Jack Chick passed away. I don't know about gentleman, but yes, he passed away. Well, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful here. All right, but if you're not familiar with Jack Chick, he was an author of religious tracts. He was incredibly prolific. Well, prolific, but I'm going to come back to that. Mm. He was an incredibly shy and private person. Right. He very much kept to himself. In fact, part of the reason that he took to writing religious tracts was because of the fact that he had what, looking back on it, Because, I mean, this is a guy who died at 92. I mean, he was alive for literally almost a century. And our openness about mental health issues is a very, very recent thing. I mean, we're talking maybe the past decade or two, right? And so as I examine his life, I wonder if he had some kind of social anxiety or something. But he was very shy. And as a result, he really avoided the media. The last interview he gave that we've been able to find was in 1975. Okay, so this is before I was even born that this guy gave his last interview. And it's the only known interview. Yes. And there's like a sketch of his face and pictures that clearly go way back in time. He's not anywhere near 92 in these pictures. I mean, this is a guy who really, really abhorred the public spotlight. And so truth be told, Apart from the things that he wrote, we don't know a whole lot about him. But what we do know about him is that he was an author of religious tracts and... uh, For anyone who doesn't know, what is a tract? Okay, all right, let me explain what a tract is. What a tract is, and historically the word had a somewhat different meaning, but more recent terminology, what a tract is, is it's a short booklet, oftentimes done in the form of a cartoon, but not always, But it's going to be some kind of a short pamphlet or booklet that is going to deal with a cultural issue. Okay, so in the case of a Christian tract, what you're probably going to see is, you know, maybe a few panels of comic or a few little bits of short text explaining the difficulties of life and then presenting a case for why christianity is the answer to that then you know probably Mm -hmm. some biblical truth at the end of it okay and and it's not just uh christian teaching either i mean there are buddhist tracts there are jehovah's you know witnesses there are mormon there are catholic there are protestant there are everybody yes exactly and you'll also find whatever political tracts ones that aren't even religious uh you can find them on any number of issues but that's what a tract is and in the context of a religious tract the type that jack chick made these were typically short comics that were meant to present what 
he believed to be some kind of religious truth, followed by, you know, some kind of, of lesson or whatever at the end of it. And where he became really well known within the subculture of gaming is he made a track called Dark Dungeons, which I'll link in the show notes. You've probably heard of it. There's a good chance you've read it. But it was a tract on the evils of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, let me pause right here to explain what this episode is about and what it is not about. All right. Now, it was actually Chad who first pitched this as a show idea. I was aware of the fact that Jack Chick had died. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had talked about it on Facebook. There was a thread about it on our forums. But I wasn't sure that I wanted to tackle this show topic because I realize that it's very hard to mention something like this to talk about the satanic panic of the 80s or Jack Chick in particular, because he's written a lot of rather controversial things, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But I know it's very hard to talk about these things without this show becoming a lightning rod for a lot of things that are not necessarily going to be relevant to the specific intersection of religion and politics and gaming as it occurred. And so I want to say right now, the reason that we are dealing with this, the reason that I chose to make an exception in this case, Chad made a very good case that this is really of great historical and cultural significance to our subculture, that it's very hard to talk to somebody who's been in gaming for any significant period of time who was not affected by this or at least aware of it. At least people of our age. Yes, certainly people of our age who were affected by this or at least aware of it in one way or another. In some cases, for example, such as myself, were affected by it very heavily. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about my own stories with this. Now, let me now put the opposite boundary on this, which is what this show is not about. This show is not intended to evaluate any religious truth claims. It is not meant to judge or to evaluate any religious or political perspective. And our basic rules about keeping your shirt on when it comes to politics and religion are still in place. Yes, you are free to interact with this topic and discuss it as it relates to gaming. But this is not open season to do your drive-bys on Christianity or, or on whatever. That's not what this is about, okay? So we are going to talk about specifically just how our culture and I'm by our culture, I mean the broader culture, came to interact with our subculture, and it unquestionably had religious and political overtones to it. And we're not going to pretend it didn't. But that doesn't mean this is open season for you to get out your stump speech for or against whatever broader topic that is not part of this specific little slice of our reality. So it's a fascinating topic for me because this didn't impact me. In any way, I didn't even know about the stigma around D&D until after I started role-playing. And I was already in my 20s at that point. So all of the stories that I hear after I you know, start podcasting and start gaming and all, none of that was baggage that I brought in. I didn't know anything about people you know, role-playing in sewers or anything. All these were after-the-fact stories. There's a really horrible Tom yeah. Hanks movie you need to watch <laughs> called Mazes and Monsters. Is it Mazes and Monsters? Yes. Monsters yeah. and Mazes. Monsters and Mazes. Which yeah. might be a semi-biographical, and I'm a very 
apocryphal, right? Uh, fanciful. It's a propaganda piece. It's but a biographical, but it may actually be based on a real person. Right? It's interesting because I kind of bridge that gap. From an age and generation standpoint, I would have been. Right. But I wasn't into gaming at that age. You, you so are of the correct age. I missed it all because I didn't start gaming till my 20s. See, I was that kid crawling around in the sewers with my older brother and his friends. <laughs> but it had nothing to do with role play games. <laughs> no, just butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jack Chick has a track about that, too. Several of us. Yeah. And so, don't play the rock and roll music. That's all I know. All right. So, so let me talk a little bit about Jack Chick himself. Now, this episode is not specifically about Jack Chick. What Jack Chick's passing does, I think, sort of mark is the fact that he was one of the, if not the most, recognizable names involved in the moral panics of the 1980s that surrounded something called ritual satanic abuse, uh, role-playing games, rock and roll music. The idea that all of this was some kind of very carefully orchestrated plot by these incredibly nefarious subsets of society that were supposedly out there lurking around like these boogeymen. And I dare say in pretty much every situation, what it turned out to be, if not complete fiction, it was at the best some tiny kernel of truth that got blown way the hell out of proportion or taken to be a whole lot bigger and more pervasive than it actually was. But for anyone who's not specifically familiar with Jack Check, and he was not the only person that was involved in this. It's not like he was the, you know, man leading the charge. He was just fact, one. Quite the opposite. He, like we said, he is a complete recluse. Yeah, he was an absolute yeah. recluse. In fact, he started doing religious tracks because of the fact that he became convinced of these religious truths a little bit into his adult life and was too shy to actually go out and talk to people. And so instead, he started doing these comics as a way of engaging people without actually facing them face to face. Now, is it true that he looked like the dungeon master from the cartoon, that he was a midget with a skullet? <laughs> no, actually, what he few, wore the robes too. yeah, the, the one or two pictures we have of the guy is he was actually a fairly well built, I guess, handsome individual. I mean, he's the type of guy that you wouldn't presume a whole lot about. I mean, once again, from what little we know about the guy. But that's one of the fascinating things is if you look at his, let's take his Wikipedia page as an example. Mm. If you were to cut out everything in there that's about his writing, there's almost nothing left. I mean, there are some factoids there, but what we know about him as a human being, despite the fact that the man lived nearly 100 years, is almost nothing. The man got remarried in, what was it, 98? And the Wikipedia article says to this day the name of his new wife is unknown yes he has a widow that that is left behind with his passing her name is not known can i call her chick chick <laughs> sure chick chick i bet she's a real chick <laughs> maybe all right so the has a track about that too. let me talk about this from a couple angles i've got a bunch of stuff in front of me because what i want to do is I want to take a walk through what this time period was like. And for those of you that did not experience this time period because you weren't into the hobby or you're too young, you just simply missed it, I want you to understand what it is that shaped the hobby that you're in and many of the people that are playing or writing these games today. Now, if you were in the hobby at that time period, then I want to walk through this as kind of, you know, 
it's like a trip through a museum of something you were there to see. We're going to think back on this stuff, try to put it in some perspective, and I suppose see what lessons we can learn from the things that occurred back then. And, you know, as with all what I believe are the great mistakes of history, hopefully learn the lessons that keep us from repeating things like this again in the future. But let me start by talking about what it was like to actually live through this. And I've got some material here. I I pulled a few brochures from that era. I pulled some information on the truth behind some of these brochures. And we we got a lot. This may end up being two episodes. I don't know. We'll just see how it plays out. But I got a lot here that I want to talk about. But let me talk about what it was like growing up in that era. In in a household. In a household, yes. yes. Because to give you some background on myself, and this is something you've probably picked up if you've been listening to the show for a while, because... I don't make it a major topic of the show, but I don't hide it either. I was born into a very religiously conservative house, and I would describe myself even to this day as a pretty religiously conservative person. Uh, When I was born at the time, my family was attending a Methodist church. I couldn't tell you which exact subtype of Methodist, but by the time that I was in about first grade, we had switched to a Southern Baptist church. And that was where we stayed really up until the current day. Now, as of right now, and I'm telling you this just because it is relevant to the story, I am actually ordained as a deacon within the Southern Baptist denomination. Okay, The point being that I come from and am still in a religiously very conservative background. And what basically occurred, as Mm -hmm. best as I can tell from what I lived through and what I now see looking back, was something came along that people didn't entirely understand. It was a new hobby. It was very strange to people. And I think that that right there, that ignorance, created a a fertile ground, created a fallow field for bad things to happen. And then what seems to have occurred beyond that was some bad events occurred. And I'm going to get in detail on some of these. Some bad events occurred that got very hastily attached to this new thing that nobody knew anything about, and suddenly everybody's freaking out. Okay, so basically what happens, and once again, I'll give some details here in a minute, is Dungeons and Dragons and rock music and all these things are really hitting, you know, this big time throughout the mid-70s and into the 80s, and all of a sudden bad things happen. Some people, unfortunately, commit suicide or end up getting killed or some really bad things happen. Or at least people think. uh, Think that's what's going on. And we're going to talk about... They think they get killed or they think people commit suicide. And for people that didn't live through that, they've seen things like that. The villainization of the video game industry. Marilyn Manson and how, you know, people would associate him with suicide. Yeah. Uh, Violent movies are going to make you violent. violent. Harry Potter. The call to have Harry Potter banned because it was teaching children real magic. Yeah. I mean, these are all things that, well, this wasn't anything I interacted with. I saw all of those happen. Right. So what happens is these things occur, right? These bad things occur. And people not really knowing or not necessarily even wanting to understand how to make sense of them tie them to these things that they don't fully understand. These new and unknown things. And incidentally, this is not new. This is not something that is unique to our era of history. Jazz got a very similar negative connotation before rock and roll did. 
If you go back even farther, if you guys will know, this is true history. Well, see, I'm not trying to get religious here, but this is true history. At one point in time, hymns actually mm-hmm. had a similar amount of scandal to them because they were considered too circusy. Yeah. Because they were played oftentimes on what's called a pump organ, uh, not a pipe organ, but a pump organ. And because of the layout of the music, the people were... <laughs> Go ahead, Brodor. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> you said pump organ, I smiled, and then the show was derailed. I'm satisfied. <laughs> but it's fine. You even going Coffee away, was banned for religious reasons. Sure, you yeah. can find even where some of the classical artists were considered to be too provocative, too mm-hmm. sexual. And so... This is not something that was unique to this point in history. This is just the one that happens to fall within the epoch of our lives, right? But this was not something new. But what happens is these bad things occur, and people don't know what to associate it with. And all of a sudden, these strange things get thrown in, right? It's it's Dungeons and Dragons, and it's you know these rock bands, and it's Run DMC, and it's <laughs> it's Twisted Sister, and it's all this other stuff. It's comic books all over again. It, yeah, comic books went through a very similar thing. Wayne, what, what was all the comic books code stuff? Was that the nineteen fifty three? Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I knew it was somewhere around the forties or fifties where comic books got a similar moral panic about how they were corrupting minds and leading everybody astray. And so then what happens is this information falls into the hands of people that are ignorant, but I believe well-meaning. And I say this because I knew, I didn't know Jack Chick, but at least at the local level, I was certainly well-intimated with the pastors that were talking about this and the community leaders, police were involved in this. It wasn't purely a church thing. Mm -hmm. This was social. All right, right. This was society-wide. The FBI did a study on role-playing games. Exactly. The FBI decided local police departments were involved in it. This was something that was getting discussed in front of the federal levels of government. This was not purely a religious thing. It's just religion being a part of our culture was one of the places that got expressed. And these well-meaning people who look at this and say, you know what? I'm hearing from sources that I take as credible for whatever reason are telling me that if I let my kids get involved in role-playing games, that they're going to end up on drugs and killing each other and worshiping Satan and and all this nonsense. No, role-playing games aren't that cool. (laughs) (laughs) And all the, you know, all this whatever And I don't want my child to go down that road. And so they think that they are doing a good thing by trying to warn you off from it. And this was before fatal. (laughs) But the problem is, well, I mean, that's problematic on its own. (laughs) But but where it gets gets even worse is because of the fact that they are terrified of this fictitious reality and this very unlikely ending to the story that they now feel a great panic about trying to get it under control. Because if I don't get what my kid is doing under control, and I don't check their Halloween candy, and I don't keep them away from the sewers and all this other stuff. Do you know that there is no actual reported incident of somebody poisoning Halloween candy or shoving needles in them? There actually is. It, it was. It, it, uh, uh, are you sure? Because I'm 100% sure because uh, Chris Mace got his punk card pulled on this. 
And he actually linked the police reports of it happening. Now, it is far less widespread than anyone believes. Mm. It was a far, it was a tiny, tiny number of incidents that got blown way out of proportion. But he was actually able to link to the real police reports and hospital reports stuff that actually talked about this occurring. Mm. So it did actually occur, but it was very, very, very limited. It was not something nearly as widespread as people thought it was. But the point is, these people who thought that this was a real threat suddenly felt the need to get involved. Because, look, if you're a parent, I know many people listening to this are now parents in their own right. If you, I'm a parent in my own right. Yeah, you are, because you, you did some chicken, popped out a kid. I know, right? And they, <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> she just shakes her head and she's yeah. like, really? <laughs> they didn't cover this in D&D. <laughs> <I know. laughs> never. Never. I mean, ever. Chad, they, they did cover it in Fatal. D&D. Yeah, they did cover it in Fatal, but Chad didn't roll a D30 to see where she was at on her cycle. <laughs> but the point being... <laughs> But the point being, though, this is the this is what happens when you use a diceless system. Right? I know. Yeah, exactly. You use the diceless system. Look what happens. Now you've got a kid. But the point being that, you know, look, you as parents, for those of you that are parents, listen, you understand you want to protect your kids. You want the very best for your kids. Yeah, I don't know. And, <laughs> but I mean, if something came along that you knew was a threat to your kids or believed was a threat to your kids, you'd move heaven and earth to, to protect them. And that's what was happening was you had people who felt that their cause was true and was righteous and was just. And that fueled these people going into a lot of very confrontational behaviors against a subculture they simply didn't understand. And what occurred, and I can tell you someone that lived through this, was I had interests, I had hobbies that I understood, that I knew to be harmless Mm -hmm. that i knew to be one particular thing and i had parents who were terrified for my physical and spiritual well-being who thought they were protecting me by keeping me from these things they get to a point to where they stopped believing incorrectly about role-playing games or did you just wear them down and eventually say you can tell me no all you want i'm just going to do it the answer is really the former I, i think at first it was the latter At first, it was more, I started with some role-playing games they didn't object to, Mm -hmm. because most of the the panic that was going on at the time was directed at fantasy role-playing games. Right. Magic, elves, demons. Bingo. Killing people. And my first several role-playing games were all science fiction in nature. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek gave way to Shadowrun, but in Shadowrun, at first, we didn't even use magic. We stuck purely to the the cyberpunk aspect because who it. could figure out those rules <laughs> in first edition? Very very fair point. But then from there we went to BattleTech. D anD D was my fourth role playing game, not my first. But you know I played three years of basically pure sci fi role playing games, and mm-hmm. that that flew under the radar. Right? It, it didn't spook people the way that these fantasy role playing games did. D anD D in particular, but you know fantasy right. role playing in general, it didn't spook them that way. I almost wonder if. There would have been a problem if we never played D and D, but instead played something else that was all that was fancy, a Lord of the Rings role playing game, for instance. You well, know, it, you know, it it's, it's been... interesting you ask that because during one of these church things mm-hmm. where the pastor's up there giving what he believes to be accurate information, you know, we watch a tape on or whatever, and then he talks about, about the dangers of D and D and all this stuff. Somebody did mention that they had become aware of there's apparently a brief publication run back in the early 80s or something like that of a Chronicles of Narnia role-playing game. Now, first, Chronicles of Narnia is well-known as being the product of C.S. Lewis, and it is, of course, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in particular, but the series as a whole was metaphorical for, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Christian stuff or the life of Christ and stuff. And so that got a very different reaction from the church. Right. And my parents never objected to the idea of me playing a Chronicles of Narnia RPG. Now, we never tracked it down, at least that one, the the, the original one that was mm-hmm. written back in the 70s or 80s or whatever it was. We never tracked anything down. We were kids and there was a hobby shop that we had to walk like five miles to. That did, you know, RC cars, dollhouses, stuff like that, little yeah. paints. They didn't even do tabletop miniature stuff, at least not that I remember, model kits and whatnot. And they had a section of role-playing game books, like very, very tiny, totally random. Like, they got catalogs of product to sell, and they just kind of randomly checked off a bunch of stuff. Sure. And that, shoved it on a shelf. Knowing about where you lived, was that checkered flag? Yes, it yes, was. Yes, it was. It was indeed. Checkered flag, and then the other big places we would get it from was from the small local bookshops, which don't really exist anymore, mm-hmm. like uh, B. Dalton and Walden Books. And that was where we got all of our stuff from. But to answer your question, the issue was very much directed towards, at least in my situation, a small number of role-playing books. Yeah, Dan and I played role-playing games together when we were kids. Big shock. We've known each other for 40 years. But the, well, 35, you have the actual number. A lot. A lot. Was, many yeah, about 37 years. Yeah. But I come from the complete opposite side of the spectrum on this. I did not grow up in a conservative religious home. I grew up in a liberal atheistic home. Or I would say on one end it was atheistic, but on the other end it would be non-theistic. Just, you know, we don't talk about this in polite company or God does not exist. That's how I was raised. And... It was a totally different experience for me. I experienced the moral panic of D&D because Dan and I were so close. I went to church with Dan. I, you know, youth groups and fun and all that stuff, even though at at that time I didn't believe in God. And, you know, we gamed over at Dan's house because my parents would kick us out, you know, (laughs) and then eventually your parents would kick us out. We'd go back to my house and we lived far enough apart on the opposite side of the neighborhood. We would collect our friends as we moved from house to house being kicked out. And, uh, and that's how we got our first gaming groups. But yeah, we, it was not a big deal to us as a group, not just you and I, but our group saying, well, we have to go to Dan's house. God damn it. We can't play D and D. We have to stop the game. We can't play D and D because we're going to dance. It was never like that. Or we could go to Chad's house and, Hey, we can cast spells and summon Satan and all this sort of stuff. It wasn't, it was never like that. We just didn't play those games. You know, it, it, we were kind of like water. We just flowed around the problem. Yeah, it really was, because at least at that point in history. And we were kids. We weren't like rebellious teenagers right, trying which, to screw the man. That did come off. Oh, yeah, that was a little later. But, but, but when yeah. it first started, yeah, it's like we go over to whatever house and we play Battletech. Yeah. Or we play Star Trek. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, man, we can't play D&D. It's more like, hey, Star Trek's awesome. Yeah. Let's and, play that. By the way, it is still to this day. Yeah. I've, I've played it recently. It still holds up. It's a fantastic system. But nobody cared. Right. I mean, yeah, it was never a thing. Chad's parents didn't really have a strong opinion to begin with. Mm-hmm. And my parents, they were caught up in that moral panic. But once again, it was directed at fantasy role-playing games. My mom's strongest opinion about role-playing games is that when I reached being a teenager, like 16, 17 years old... She's like, well, when are you going to stop playing those kids' games? Yeah. You know, that that's her thing. She still tells me that. You still play video games? Those are for kids. I'm like, yeah, you're kind of behind the times on that, Mom. It's, <laughs> it's kind of changed. Well, and, you know, before we dig into these documents here that, I, that I've got, let me talk about what it was like as an individual. Because I talked about the culture and mm-hmm. what it was like to go through that. But let me tell you about what it was like as an individual. And some of you are going to relate to this 
Some of you are going to be hearing this for the first time. Some of you, maybe you lived through that era, but you were in a different part of the country, a different, you know, cultural context, and it just didn't play out. Some of you were in the room with Dan role-playing. Oh, wait, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) But it is very, very difficult to be immersed in a culture, your family, your church, and of course, through your church, that's where not all, but many of your friends come from. And to constantly be told that the things that you're interested in, the things that you have seen, and you know that what they're talking about isn't in there, but to be constantly told that what you're doing, it's aberrant, it's evil, it's socially destructive, it's a gateway to all of these terrible things up to and including the mutilation and ritual execution of human beings, which, by the way, was part of that moral panic mm-hmm. because there was not one moral panic. There was many. We're focusing on the one about role-playing games, but there were many going on at the time. And sort of the super group that these all fit under was something called RSA or ritual satanic abuse. That That's what rock music and D&D, these were all kind of like, I guess the arms of oh, what's that organization? Spectre. They're like the many arms <laughs> yeah. of Spectre. And right in the, the, the head of the octopus is this ritual satanic abuse. It's the satanic subculture within America that really did not exist or certainly not nearly in the numbers. Do you ever watch Saturday Night Live and the, the church lady where she's going, Satan? That's <laughs> kind of what he's skewering. Yeah, so it, those kind Dan, of people. in this situation, does it undercut your trust that the people that are talking to you know anything at all? Because I know nothing related to this, but going through college, I would have, if I would run into a teacher that just utterly taught something that was wrong and wouldn't listen, I would have a problem believing that anything they said, they knew. You know, that's a fair question. And normally on this podcast, I would not field it. Because of the fact that it requires diving into religious and political, well, in this case, a religious statement that is not what I want this show to be about. But to answer your question of did it affect me, let me give you a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is one thing I was always able to do was separate Christ from the Christian. Was I could always look at and say, you know, it is a fundamental teaching of my religion That every human being, myself included, everyone is flawed, is mistaken, is imperfect, is sinful, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a religion that's about grace and relationship. It's not about the righteousness of man. And so I was able, even at a young age, to separate that the people talking to me can be absolutely imperfect. And that does not mean that, therefore, the basic belief system that I'm adhering to has the same problems that the individuals espousing it do. Because, for example, the things that they're saying about Dungeons and Dragons, these aren't things drawn from the Bible. No. These are things... Guess what? D&D's not in the Bible. Yeah. These are things drawn from panic pieces on 60 Minutes. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they're pulling from. Excuse the pun. (laughs) If you know the history of all this, we're going to get to somebody called pulling. You know, that's what they were were drawing from. The longer answer is, Wayne, at times it was indeed very difficult Because of the fact that if they're wrong about this, what else are they wrong about that they're trying to teach me? No, it wasn't that. It wasn't that per se. I've always been fairly independently minded. I've always been the type of person that I can be immersed in a culture 
surrounded by a thousand people that believe one thing and I can be the one person in the crowd that's like this is BS and I, and I could call out specific incidents even completely unrelated to church that I did this in where I was the one person I was the canary in the coal mine where I was like this person is warped and nobody saw it until it was way down the road this happened to me multiple times in the course of school for example where I'd see a teacher and be like this person is messed up and nobody would believe me until something went really off the rails but that tangent to side, it was more of an issue of it is very, very cowing to be surrounded by so many people all screaming the same thing, right? Because look, society today, human nature doesn't change. People are all about that virtue bandwagon, right? It's you believe something, you believe you're somehow right and righteous. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to religion. All kinds of social causes get caught up in this as well. And anyone who believes this is not just wrong. They are evil. They are morally deficient. They're on the wrong team. Exactly. And they need to be called out. They need to be shamed. And you're the one person in the room. And you may believe otherwise, but there comes a point where you just get so cowed by the whole thing. You just get so beat down that you don't have it in you. To fight back, to argue, maybe you believe otherwise, but you just kind of, you know, I you just go into the closet. I actually have a, a slightly different perspective on it. You have to understand, though, that when Dan and I were friends, again, I, I don't want to get too religious here. I was not a believer. I am now, but I was not a believer when Dan and I were very young and I went to church with Dan. And because Dan and I were friends and because his parents were so religious and, and Dan is so religious, they spent a lot of time at church. If I want to spend time with my friend, I have to go spend time at church. And that's not really a problem because there's an active youth group, lots of kids, and they do fun stuff. I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't care. But I was not as plugged into it as Dan is. So I wasn't being cowed. You know, the message wasn't being beaten on me. When I went home, it wasn't being beaten on sure. me, that sort of thing. And my perspective on is I remember at your church eventually our church, that by the entrance on the inside, on the left, when you're walking out, is a wooden sort of... It's like a pegboard. Pegboard, yeah. Yeah. And there were all the Jack Chick tracks, kind of bringing this back, all the different Jack Chick tracks were in there. And I loved reading them. I loved reading them. Because... They're comic books. They're comic books. (laughs) And I was a kid, but I mean, first you have to understand that it's a variety of subjects, right? It, It isn't like crazy rock music. It isn't just bashing gays. It isn't, you know, about... D&D and all this sort of stuff. If you actually look at the full list of them, because I've looked at the catalog and I've read a bunch of them. A lot of them is just about Jesus and love. Mm Role-playing games is like It's one. one. It's single. And, and And, you know, I will certainly be the the, the first, second, third, fourth, and fiftieth person to tell you that Jack Chick wrote a lot of things that I find incredibly offensive. Right. But if you look at some of his oldest stuff, for example, one of the first things he wrote, because he wanted to get this out to a lot of people, he wanted to make this as accessible to as many people as he could. He made a wordless tract. Yeah. And it's about, and basically the story of it is it's about this little girl who is living, and there's no words to it, mm-hmm. it's all pictures, but she's living with this abusive and alcoholic father, and she doesn't know what it means to be loved, and she basically feels alone, and eventually in a drunken rage, she chases her out of the house, and she's living on her own, out on the streets, and barely surviving. And she finds something about the love of Jesus and the last like panel of that track or one of the last is her basically clutching that. And you see she's kind of heart over her. She understands now that there is someone out there, something out there right. that loves her. And that's like her last thought as she dies in the streets. 
I mean, it's a very heartbreaking. But the point is, it's not as yeah, it's not nearly as over the top as some of his other material was. But many of them were over the top. Yes, many of them um, were, and I'm not. I'm so, not telling yeah, otherwise. Those are so, the fun ones to read. Well, and see, that was that was my take on it, and that was my take on the whole thing. Is because I, you know, every time I'd walk out that door, I would grab one, and what the churches did is that they would order these in bulk. Yep. Probably never even read them because they're cartoons and adults don't read cartoons at that time. And they would stamp the back of them with the with the name of the church and the address yep. on them and people would hand them out. And they were not there to be read by the petitioners of the church, but for them to take them and hand them out. Well, I would take them and I would read them. And some of the stuff I read was just amazing. I mean, it was like the rock. We talked earlier about the rock and roll ones, about the evils of music and about all this wackadoodle stuff. And the juxtaposition of what I was seeing was very apparent and intense. You had, I'm going to be real honest here. You had hate filled messages in these Jack chick tracks and moon logic. I mean, just really crazy stuff. Something that I, as somebody who just went to youth group with my friend, but I didn't believe in God, knew had nothing to do with the religion at all. And this just crazy versus what I was seeing from these people. There was no connection there. Yeah. You know, sure, there were those people out there, but, you know, they did not hammer me with this sort of right well and those people would have been screwed up regardless of playing dungeons and dragons (laughs) or not it would have been something because those people were damaged in some fashion right and needed assistance for me i mean we've talked about my childhood and what have (laughs) you before on the show but you were an altar boy a couple couple, i was an altar boy (laughs) a couple of things that that i just want to harken back to it was my parents who introduced my parents' friends who introduced us to Dungeons and Dragons. And because my parents were blissfully neglectful of us when we were children, I was well aware that there was this stigma that it was evil and that it was bad for you, etc. However, I didn't have anyone hovering over me telling me that it was bad, telling me I shouldn't do it, dragging me out of the sewers <laughs> so we weren't playing games in the sewers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have that. But I do distinctly remember, even as a youth, looking at Dungeons & Dragons, because it was my first role-playing game, that it was a, an activity, a hobby that I was reading. I was exercising critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I was exercising math. I was writing, I was practicing language, I was utilizing my imagination, and those are all things that the adults in your life and your educators want to encourage you to do. Right. So for me, it was a great hobby, but most importantly, you learned how to clean a body after you killed it. But it 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 was my escape because reality for me was so awful. I was learning these other skills and honing these other skills and escaping from the real world. So the F... we talked earlier about the fbi fbi did a study during at the height of this moral panic because it was going in front of you know congressmen were making speeches and stuff and the fbi was like okay well people are saying that that people are dying people are getting murdered people are getting pulled into cults well you know this is kind of our thing we're going to look into it and they did a study on role-playing games and that sort of stuff and their findings was that it is everything you just listed A person who goes around killing people is an aberrant loner. 
You can't play a role-playing game by yourself. You have to have friends to play a role-playing game. People That's who why have... I never started playing role-playing games till my 20s. Aww. <laughs> till I bought you your first dice set. <laughs> I'm so proud of I tell you, Broder, it was really very difficult to grow up in an environment where I had my own difficulties, right? Just like you did. I mean, it was different sure, details. Sure. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but, well, but it's but, not a competition. No, right? no, 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 right. But I'm just accepting they are different, okay? Sure. Forget the, the, the quantity. They were right. qualitatively different. I don't know about you. I got sent to space camp. <laughs> I, uh, you did too. Space Academy. Space Academy, yeah. yeah. But, but the point being that... <laughs> Bastards. But the, but the point being that, like you, I needed that escape. And when I found that escape, I was suddenly being told by a large percentage of the people that I was surrounded by a large percentage of the time that my escape that my survival mechanism, right? That my way to try and get out of this, what I was doing with my friends. And mind you, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I did not get a large friend group until a, I think my junior year of high school. I mean, most years I could count my group of friends on the fingers of one hand and have plenty of fingers left over. And so I kept them all away. <laughs> Dan and, was mine. And so to keep, these friends and this is what they're into and i see what's going on and i know what it's all about and yet then to be told by so many people that it's satanic it's evil it's you know it's going to lead us to all these terrible terrible ends and we're somehow all in this great danger and blah 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 i mean it really was incredibly difficult and i know there's a lot of people listening to this right now that lived through the same thing you see i was lucky i did not have that obstacle And, I didn't have it for role-playing games, but I even had that for comic books in the 90s because they were my escape from reality with books and comic books. And I went through a period, even as late as the 90s, where my parents thought that comic books were responsible for everything that was wrong with me. They were right, but <laughs> I, I still blame Led. <laughs> I, I think Dad may be more right. That's, that's, that is the one positive thing that I will say about my mother, you know, is she always encouraged us to read. Mm, yeah. No, it might have been like the... Well, the difference well, is... Well, shut up and leave me alone. Right. It's really right. what it is. And we're too poor to have cable. So go so, to the room and read. The well, book but, becomes the stand-in for yeah, TV. Yeah. Well, and her difference is she can't point to something as being everything that's wrong with you when she is everything well, that's wrong with you. Yeah, that's a whole other well, deal. Well, yeah. All right. So, you know, I think this is going to go into two parts. So what we're going to talk about next time, this time we set up sort of what the, the situation was like, was like to live through. On the next show, what we're going to do is we're going to go through a document, one of the sort of primers that was released in the 80s on the Evil's role-playing game. So I want you guys to hear what this stuff was like. And I'm also going to give you guys, for those of you that lived through this, we're going to move, I'm going to give you, well, I'm going to give you some background you may or may not know on some of what was going on. And for those of you who didn't live through it, I, I hope this will be somewhat educational on the history of your hobby. But I want to close this out with something because I want to end this on a positive note, even if we're only at the midpoint here, which is that, Chad, you were asking, or maybe it was Wayne, one of you was asking. I'll take credit. Sure, Chad asked me (laughs) about what changed my parents' minds. Was it me as a rebellious kid, or was it something else? And what happened is I moved out of my childhood and early adolescence to my later adolescence. I did become more and more rebellious. Now, Just, Just a bit. 
I did. You know what? And I would say just a bit because I never got anything well, really it, bad. Yeah, we it never was like got into drugs or we didn't know anybody who yeah, did drugs. It's like I'm gonna we play nerds. I'm gonna play D and D. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got. We see how well that went. <laughs> it's like it, it was not the. I'm going to go out and sleep around and do drugs and get drunk and whatever, and you can't stop me. It was the, I'm going to play D&D and you can't stop me. Right. But, you know, it, it was, believe me, it was probably like the best my, my, gentlest rebellion any parents My favorite times was when we would be out driving late and the cops would pull us over and they're like, what are you kids doing in a car this late? And we would haul, hold up our Bibles, be like, we're coming back from Sunday school. You're like, suck a D4, pig! <laughs> Like, but, but, oh, well, uh, I tell you, have a good day. <laughs> I think two things changed my parents' minds. One was, of course, as time went on, the moral panic passed. Right. Now, now I've, I've talked to people who are still dealing with it to this day, but certainly it did diminish in terms of its intensity and its pervasiveness. OK, so I, I have no doubt it's still out there. But if you look at society as a whole, it is not as strong nor as common as it once was. And I think some like of that not even a blip. Sure. And I, I think yeah. some of that helped was they, they got sort of just the issue passed. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you something else. OK, and I'm, I'm going to say this now. I'm speaking not just to people on the table. I'm speaking to listeners because there was something else that really changed my parents mind on role playing games. And that's you guys. Hmm. Now, you may be wondering, how the heck did we change Dan's parents minds? And the answer is. My parents, one thing I will give them is for whatever issues that occurred in the past, my parents have always been very involved in and very supportive of the things in my life. And they have been to Fear the Cons. That's what I'm getting to. Mm -hmm. And so when Fear the Con hit, my parents wanting to be supportive came out to Fear the Con, not really knowing what this was all about, but wanting to see what was going on. And from their perspective, okay, keep in mind, they, have, they don't have any background with the role-playing world, right? But in from, fact, actively avoided it. Right. But from their perspective, what they see is here is this room that has a couple hundred people in it who came from literally multiple countries, not just many states, but came from across oceans to see their son and to play these games. And they sat there and they looked over this room and they saw people being friendly. They saw people being sociable. They saw people being compassionate, and they saw the amount of acceptance and love and connection that existed between these people and their son. And no matter how hard your heart is, if there is any decency to you as a person, which I, my parents, there absolutely is, right? My parents are not these. I believe they were wrong about some things. I don't think my parents were horrible and evil people. And they're not Brodor's parents. <laughs> I, I my dad's right. <laughs> but... The point is that when they saw the role-playing community, not just me playing a role-playing game, but they, their son trying to tell them it's right, okay. But it's, they saw what the community looked like in action. Mm -hmm. It completely changed their minds. Yep. And so remember that, that you people, whether you intend to or not, you are constantly an ambassador for the things that you do, and that includes role-playing games. So that's where we're in this episode. But we're going to be back next time. And when we come back next time, I'm going to work through a pamphlet that was produced in the 1980s. So if you want to either hear or remember what it was like, and I'm going to dissect it and give you some actual historical background on a few. I did some research, believe that one, on uh, this. So we're going to look at what was actually going on at the time 
and how some of this occurred and what was really occurring behind the scenes. So I hope you guys have a great week and great games, all you devil-worshipping psychos. (laughs) And we will catch you in the steam tunnels next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.